0: you have to prepare yourself for an answer that you're not, you don't want to hear, you know, I mean, you can't just sit there and like play the conversation over and over in your head and be like, yeah, this is how it's going to go, you know, and then you have the conversation and it, it's like goes the complete opposite, which is usually what ends up happening. I think you have to, you have to let go of all expectations of outcome from the conversation. And um, you have to be willing to, get an answer that you don't want, you might not want to hear, you know, and it might take a a long time for you to feel finally okay with that.
1: Welcome to the Art of Coaching podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I wanna thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. I'm getting a little bit stir-crazy, can you tell? Back in November of 2020, I had surgery on my shoulder to fix a contact-related injury from six years ago. Now, naturally, having surgery comes with activity restrictions, and those activity restrictions can lead to muscle atrophy, overall decreases in fitness, and me losing my damn mind. Most annoying of all is the fact that I couldn't pick up our baby boy, Bronson, with my arm. And the fact is, at this point in my life, I'm far less worried about being jacked for the sake of jackness, and far more worried about being useful, powerful, and durable. So when I eventually got to the point when I could progress through stages of rehab, I was really happy to find out there was something like the BFR cuffs from Saga Fitness. They have created the world's first wireless automated training cuffs, which leverage the benefits of blood flow restriction to reduce the time and intensity required to build muscle and increase strength. And best of all, it's not BS. It's got plenty of research behind it. The cuffs, unlike my beard, are sold in pairs, and you can check them out at saga.fitness. Make sure to use code BRETT20 to save some cash. Also, The deadline is approaching for applications to our coalition mentoring program. So if you found yourself feeling stuck, craving connection that is centered around no BS feedback, and most importantly, a tactical accountability type of group, make sure that you go to artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition and apply now. It's not a billionaire boys club. It's not a Zoom call with 80 people, half of which never talk and just kind of lurk in the background because their lighting's awful. This is for people who don't have time or money to waste on surface level feedback and continued self-doubt. Frankly, I made it for a very selfish reason. I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but a few years back, I got really annoyed feeling like there were just so few people in my life that I could talk to about a range of things from relationships to what it's like running a business to wanting to do more in my profession and even getting into other side hobbies. You know, I I certainly have good friends just like many of you do, but you wanted people that would kind of just Give it to you in a respectful but really straightforward and candid way because they had skin in the game too right they don't want to waste time and we all have to constantly reevaluate our personal and professional networks. so I made my own. You'll be around others from around the world. It is not specific to one profession who want to help you get unstuck and finally create some clarity in your approach. So even if you don't know what you want to do or you want to write a book or you want to start a business or you're leaving your job or you're having troubles with your spouse or whatever it is, bring your mess. We'll help you sort it out because it's always easier to go through that kind of stuff together. Go to artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition now. We will not be running another one for more than six months. I run these, it's actually me. I run these and we only do them twice a year. Artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition. It's a tricky thing to navigate many of us start off with some semblance of an idea of what we want to do what we don't want to do the type of person we want to become and the type of people we enjoy being around and you don't need me to tell you this but collectively the experiences we have throughout our lives along with how we perceive them shape our very identity or at least play a pretty big role in doing so but what happens when that gets thrown through a loop what happens the moment we realize wow this really isn't the direction I want to go anymore. Or perhaps scarier still, when we catch ourselves saying, I'm really not sure which path I want to take at the moment. See, it's during these moments where we can start feeling like we're having a bit of an identity crisis. And in truth, we're set up for this. So if it describes you, you're not alone. And that's not motivational guru talk. Our entire lives, we are told to be objective focused. So much so, that any sense of downtime or unbridled curiosity is usually labeled as unproductive or lazy. But I want to ask you, is it really? Do you really believe that? Does a part of you really believe that? Has a part of you ever believed that? If we don't learn how to lean into uncertainty and embrace a little bit of the gonk show that life can be at times, we're going to eventually get lost in our own self-doubt and thoughts. And this is going to infect everything from our self-talk, I know I've done this a lot, career choices, our relationships, and that is exactly what today's episode is about. My guest in conversation today is Shayla Simpson, and she's a former semi-professional track and field athlete. She competed in the pole vault for Arizona State University and continued her post-collegiate career with world-renowned Altus and Arizona Pole Vault Academy until she finally hung up the spikes in 2018. Shayla currently works in client services for Conscious Family Law and Mediation in Boulder, Colorado. And she's also finishing up credits to get her certificate in conflict resolution and mediation. In the future, she plans on getting her master's in marriage and family therapy and works to help diverse groups of people cultivate stronger relationships with themselves and others. You're going to love this conversation because it's candid. There's awkward silences. There's disfluencies. And we're not going to edit any of it, because it's a real conversation between two people who don't always have the answer. Folks, enjoy this conversation with Shayla Simpson. Shayla, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me.
1: There's been a lot of trust over the years from you, uh, coming to learn boxing in my garage, <laughs> if you remember that back in the, the Phoenix days to now getting oh, a podcast. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's been an, it was a, it's been an honor to be able to say I've been punched in the side of the head by you.
1: Do not say that. Our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> really,
0: <laughs> I had the helmet on. I was good. I was good.
1: You had the helmet. I remember that. I was like, Hey, if you want to, we we're trying to work on your head movement. I'm like, there's gotta be a consequence or you're never going to learn you throw the helmet on, which just scrunches. Anybody listening, it's like one of those sparring pieces of headgear, scrunches your face. And Shayla had the best mean mug, pseudo mean mug I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, that that was awesome. I'm big on natural consequences. So that was a good uh, good learning experience for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, speaking of learning experiences, it's been a long time since we've had a time to, you know, a chance to talk. And this is always intriguing for me because I, I got to witness you train as an athlete under the care of Altus. And then when you said, hey, I kind of want to do something different uh, in conjunction with your training, right? Like we had some fun and you learned a bit of boxing based on my background. And now talk to us a little bit about what you're doing and how you went from that realm of things into what you're doing now on, on the divorce attorney law kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So it was a little bit of a, it was quite the journey for me getting to where I am now from when I actually made the decision to, to quit track my track and field career. And, um, it was, it was a solid woof, I want to say probably like two year process until I figured out like, Oh, okay. This is, this is the journey I want to take. Cause I think I'm sure a lot of uh, athletes go through this a little bit of an identity crisis after, you know, they quit sport, especially if you, have you know, most people who train at a very high level past college. And I mean, in college, you've been an athlete since you were like five, you know, so you're in this mode of way of life for 20 plus years. And then all of a sudden you're just like out there in the world <laughs> and you're like, yeah. I don't know who I am, what I'm doing. So I kind of took some time after I, I decided to quit and I was bartending at the time. So I just kind of kept doing that. Um, and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do to be honest. Like I, I just, I was super lost. And when I met my now boyfriend at the time, he was a traveling photographer. And so we met and he was like, Hey, I want to go to Spain. And so I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Let's do okay. it. So, yeah. Okay. And how old were you at the time? Um, what, I'm like, oh my god, I'm 29 now. I was about 26, going to be 27, I think.
1: Yeah. Wow. So a huge life transition. Met your boyfriend. Now you're going to Spain. 27.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, quit. I quit bartending. I was like, I'm just. I'll figure it out when I get home. And uh, I came home. Ended up um, working for his mom uh, for a bit, doing kind of marketing social media stuff for a boutique that she owns in Phoenix, and then decided, didn't want to do that. Not, not my jam. And we went to Asia and I was really, I got actually super intrigued into, um, cultural anthropology. And so I actually applied to CU Boulder, um, for their cultural anthropology master's program and got rejected. <laughs> and then, but it was okay, because I actually knew, you know, when you kind of start, I, I kind of started having a little bit of anxiety when about the time I was going to find out if I made it in or not. And I was like, all right, you know, if I make it in, I'll take it as a sign that I should do that. Yeah, if I don't make it in. I think I know what I have to do. And um, I didn't make it in. And I was kind of relieved. And I was like, you know, what? I think I need to go back get my master's in marriage and family therapy. And, um, and I was also really intrigued in like conflict resolution and different things like that. And I was talking to my uncle and he was like, well, you know, you could be a mediator. You just have to, you know, you got to go get your certificate and stuff. So started that journey in getting my certificate in conflict resolution and mediation through Colorado state university, which is what I'm currently Doing right now. It's very part time. It's just since it's just a certificate. And that led me to getting a job at um, my now law firm that I work at called Conscious Family Law and Mediation. And
1: Conscious. Do, oh my God. Now I'm. Still, I knew
0: you'd love that.
1: Yep, there we go. Yeah, a little bit biased there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, they do divorce mediation and relationship mediation. And it's, I mean, they do like divorce litigation and all that stuff too, but really intrigued in, in how they approach divorce. and and what drew me to them, you know, not only their name, but just the, their way that they ap- approach it is very uh, intentional. They're not super, I guess, like, you know, stereotypical divorce lawyers, right. sharky and cause conflict and all that. So I've been learning so much from them and I'm super grateful.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of jump off points here. So we're going to come back right. to this like kind of rich reservoir. I definitely want to hit on the the identity crisis thing for a second. And, and then we're going to come back to the divorce side because I know you and I, a little bit before the show, we're talking about episode 142 where Nate Hoffmeister came on and kind of talked about, you know, being a leader who's been through a divorce and how that kind of chipped away at self-esteem. I'm the child of, of divorced parents. Were your parents? Um,
0: or, no, they're still together.
1: Right. And like, but like, it's it's interesting, right? Is we can know parents that are together and it's a, it's a tough relationship. And then I look at my parents that they certainly went through their ugly phase, like like a lot of folks that go through divorce too. And now they couldn't be better friends. You know, they're, they're, they have a super healthy relationship and what have you. So that's a fascinating nuance that we'll go into. But let's talk about this identity crisis because this is something our listeners often talk about. Is that okay if we go in this direction?
0: Oh, absolutely. Let's do
1: it. Okay, so going from like semi-professional track and field into a couple years of just, you know, Hey, what the hell am I going to do and and I'm I'm curious, I'm open to going to Spain, I'm doing these things. What are some things that you kind of said to yourself both on the healthy end and maybe even on the extreme end while you're going through that? It, because it's so hard. That's your sense of self oftentimes is wrapped up in sport. Talk to me a little bit more about what that crisis was like for anybody that's listening now that's kind of not quite sure where they're going to go next.
0: Yeah, so I actually kind of went through it two different times. So after I graduated college, I was super burnt out. I was like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to step foot on a track. I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want to smell a track. That's a very distinct smell. If no one is familiar yeah. with that, but um, and I was just done. So I entered into you know a career in social work and uh, working with the Department of Child Safety. Uh, my company was outsourced by them, and um, I kind of just had this nudging of like. I should go back to track. And, you know, I eventually did. But, but when I first um, was in that first sort of identity crisis, I remember when I graduated college, you know, I, I I didn't really have any intention at the time of ever going back. I thought I was done. And and I remember everyone kept saying, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And in my head, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Like, everyone's been telling me what to do my whole life. Like, you know, obviously in a, in a po- constructive way, but you know, it's like you grow up, you go to school, you you show up at this time, practice at this time, you go to your meet, you do this, you're going to this college, this, you know, you're you you're just you're kind of handed this step by step of like this is what you're doing. Like, there's not necessarily, I don't remember any like certain distinct time where someone was like, hey, do you want to do this? <laughs> so, like, I was just always kind of the decision was there for me. And not that that's necessarily a bad or good thing. I think there's positives and negatives to that. But um, I, I was just like, I I don't even know my own mind really, like outside of track and field, you know, like I knew my mind in track and field. I I didn't know who Shayla was outside of track and field. I remember feeling really awkward because I'd always used to introduce myself and be like, oh yeah, I'm Shayla. I'm a pole vaulter at ASU. And then, I, <laughs> and then I'd introduce myself and I'd be like, yeah, I'm Shayla, Shayla just shayla that's
1: just, Shay- just shayla
0: just that shayla It's me I don't, I don't know who i am after that um so i went to social work and then had this huge nudging to um to go back to track after about a year and and i did that and then once that was done went on that journey and um i think i kind of gave myself some more i gave myself a little more grace and taking the time to figure it out, you know, like I was bartending, I was making money, I was fine. But it was funny after I quit, I went over to my parents' house. And like the first thing that my dad asked me, he was like, what kind of job are you going to get? And I was like, dad, I'd literally just quit five minutes ago. Can you just give yeah. me a second? And uh, so I, I gave myself some time on that. Um, I went through a lot of different ups and downs of feeling like um, I just didn't really know What I wanted to contribute to the world. I didn't really know because I mean, I just, I contributed on the track. I just didn't, I didn't know what I really, really cared about because social work burnt me out of psych, like anything psych related. Like I was interested in it, but I was like, yeah, never going to go back to social work, psychology, don't want anything to do with it. Um, because it just really burnt me out. And anyone who's in the social work field, you know, knows what I'm talking about. So, um,
1: but one thing about this, if I can jump in for a moment, yeah, yeah. that I think is often underrated, and I had a conversation with a member of our uh, coalition mentoring group this morning about it, because he said, "You know, I I feel awful because there's nothing right now that I'm really trying to accomplish. I'm just trying to get my mind right so I can kind of focus on next steps, and I don't always know what that's going to be." And I said, "Well, that's not a bad thing, and feel free to correct me if you think this is BS." It's like you know, you, we can become too objective focused and we often think that relaxation equals complacency. And that's not, that's not the truth. You know, this, this one article I remember reading kind of just talks about, Hey, you know, creativity requires uninterrupted focus, whether you're going for a walk or sitting quietly on a couch. And I remember them talking about, and it's everybody's favorite example. You know, Steve jobs did most of his serious conversations while walking or wandering. And, uh, Jack Dorsey wanders about. And then I remember I'm from Omaha, so they always talk about Warren Buffett. Charlie Munger talked about Warren Buffett and said, well, half the time he just spent sitting on his ass reading. And then finally, there was this Nobel Prize winning guy, uh, his name's Amos Tversky, and he was a psychologist. And you know, one thing that he said is you waste years by not being willing to waste hours. And I'm paraphrasing there. But my point is, is I wonder if this was true with you, we often think that quote unquote time wasted, just kind of wandering, you know, contemplating what we're going to do next, but also not stressing ourselves out. It's got such a negative stigma, but it can be the answer you need to kind of put some wheels in motion that otherwise you just tend to go on autopilot with. Did you ever find that, that it actually benefited you to just waste a little time, get outside and do quote unquote unproductive stuff?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think Um, I think if, if you're wanting to like jog any sort of like creative part of you, you know, you have, you have to do that. I mean, um, just in your, in your, I attended your summit over the weekend and learned a lot, um, plug in there for you, but, uh, it was what, you know, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The guy who worked for Adidas. Oh, Andrew Leslie. Yeah. Where he's just like, you gotta, you know, you're having kind of this block a little bit. You gotta just, you gotta do something totally different, which is sort of what I did I think I just started going like every which direct, which direction. I actually wanted to, um, sell everything I owned and, uh, go and live in a van, (laughs) do the whole van life. Did you do it? Um, no, I actually, um, that was a very difficult conversation with my parents. They were not, uh. That was a hard. I was really gung ho on it. I was like dead set on it. I was just say,
1: come out, walk, walk me through this. We need to do some role playing here. Like, <laughs> not, not your dad or your mom, and I need you to kind of just give me an example of how you approach this. Sell me on you doing hashtag van life.
0: Yeah. So I I was like, you know, I have family in the East Coast, so my whole plan was like, I will. I'm going to go. I'm going to sell everything I own. I already like know who's going to build out my van. How everything. I did all the research. And I want to go and I want to travel across the U S and, um, I want to like volunteer along the way and learn people's stories and like take pictures of people. And I, I wanted to have substance to it. You know, it wasn't me just wanting to like, you know, bum around and like down by the river kind of thing. Like I, I really wanted it. It was like super purposeful Yeah. and had a lot of purpose behind it. And <laughs> my mom, um, which was actually like a pretty painful like conversation. I remember um, she said, "You need to uh, get a job, get a life, and grow up." Wow. And that was that was yeah, that was um, that was pa- a painful you know thing to hear because I think I think there was so much of me that felt like I had I did things for other people all the time, and this was like the one thing I wanted to do for myself. And at this time I'll have to disclaimer, I hadn't met my boyfriend at the time. Sure. So when I did meet him, it was like very kind of very close to this point of like me wanting to pack up and leave and and everything. So when he, you know, came in and was like, let's go to Spain. I was like, yeah, let's go buy the tickets. We're gone. So it was kind of serendipitous in that sense. I think I, you know, I really wanted to travel. That was something I really wanted to do for myself. Um, and that was a means for that. And I, and I was really craving purpose in my life, um, you know, with helping people and wanting to tell people's stories and learn people's stories. I guess like I could have one job and it would, it would literally just be to like, talk to everybody and just learn their story. Like that would be like the best job ever to me.
1: Listen, I mean, I do a podcast, right? So I did right. that. I, I want to ask you a question and by no means is it any kind of psychoanalysis? It's genuine curiosity. Um, there's been sometimes, and I'll give you a frame of reference so like my question's clear. I sometimes will have trouble despite how much I love communication and language, always finding words to express something. Right. So whenever I'd read literature, whether it's for my doctorate or a book, like the new book I'm working on, I found a passage the other day and I'm like, man, that's a wonderful way they put it. That's what I've been trying to express. It's also why I like certain visuals and graphics, right? Which is not my skill set. I'm not an artistic person. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that part of why you wanted to have conversations with people? I mean, I know you love people. We've always had great conversations. Uh, But do you feel like part of that is when you hear somebody else's story or you hear their way of thinking, it helps you make sense of yourself a little bit?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I, and weirdly, you know, I love, I love hearing people's, pain too. I know that sounds a little weird to say, no, but my
1: listeners will understand that.
0: Yeah. is um, Cause I think, you know, the one, one of the only things that can, one of many things that connect us is that we all feel pain at some point in our lives, yeah. um, you know, whatever, whatever that may be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. And I think that's something that really connects us all. Um, I don't think there's any purpose in in comparing pain, like, oh, I had worse pain than you. That's just not, not self, yeah, right. yeah. so um, and I just totally got sidetracked on like oh no, the-
1: we' so we were talking about um, wh- when you ask other people questions because you had mentioned you want to do something for yourself, you're often a people pleaser to a degree, and you wanted to just have a conversation. And then I asked you, do you feel like part of that is wanting to hear other people's perspectives so it can hope maybe provide language or insight into? Why, you know, something you were feeling or something you struggled with, or help you make sense of yourself, so to speak. That that was the nature of the question.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. I I think a hundred percent yes on that. Um, and I think that's something that I'll always want to do and because I always want to gain more knowledge and understanding of myself and um what you know, how that relates to other people. And I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Like that's the biggest, like one of the biggest, you know, I operate from three perspectives. I feel like in my life is you don't know what you don't know. Common sense is not so common. And in general, I truly believe people are just doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time. And, um, you know, with, with, you don't know what you don't know, you know, like if someone tells me their story and I recognize myself in that, and I can make that connection, how, how great is that? You know, I just learned something about myself that I, I didn't know before
1: hundred percent. And, and I think that says something for you who, you know, you had been coached for a law, a a large number of years. And, you know, that's part of a coach's job, right? To help somebody, you facilitate a level of self-discovery, right? You never play psychologist or psychiatrist, but you've got to play that. Here's another question within that. I'm curious on your end. You know, a lot of times I try to get coaches or leaders to get outside their comfort zone and they think they do, right? For example, I remember talking to a coach saying, hey, you should try X, Y, and Z. This is pretty interesting. And they just wanted to kind of do staff education with their own staff. They didn't really like getting outside of their walls much. And they felt like because they did so much education internally, they were pushing themselves when in reality, they're kind of insulating themselves. Talk to me about an example. And it's okay if you need some silence to think about it where you felt like you were pushing yourself to grow as a person, but really you were totally hiding in a comfort zone, right? Or you were only pushing yourself within the context of an arena, you were already comfortable pushing yourself. And, you know, it it wasn't something that was actually making you get outside of yourself. Does that question make sense to you?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I might need like just a minute to think about this. That's such a great question. Um, I
1: can give you something that might help. Like I think with athletes too, or you like being, do you still like being active or are you one of those folks that after athletic competition, you're like, no, I'm done with the weight room. I'm done with everything.
0: No, I definitely still like being active. It just looks so much different now, you know?
1: Sure. So my point with that is some people they are like, yeah, I get out of my comfort zone, but let's say they like working out and yeah, it's, it's great that they push themselves and they go do strenuous, hard workouts but that's not always the same context of pushing themselves out of their comfort zone because they like exercise. They like that feeling. Right. So this could be, uh, well, I mean, you going to another country, you know, with uh, how long did, had you known your boyfriend at that point in time?
0: Um, we, we booked the flight after a month of knowing each other.
1: That's and your yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had, had many relationships like that?
0: Um, nope, not really. Uh, I mean, I definitely tend to, you know, getting personal, I guess it, it tend to very fall very quickly for people, yeah. which is, which I think, um, I used to think that made me really weak, but, um, I, I kind of view it a little bit more as a strength now, um, that, you know, I, I do choose to see the good in people. I don't, I don't assume that everyone's out to get me. Um, so sometimes it burns me and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, luckily this is a situation it didn't, it didn't burn me. So, um, yeah, I think, wow.
1: We, we can, we can come back to it, right? Cause yeah. I do another question and maybe it'll help you indirectly.
0: Well, actually, I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind is traveling by myself. Um, I, I traveled to Europe in 2016, I believe, um, by myself for six weeks. I, I had never left the country other than, um, going to Mexico. And no. I was just like, yeah, I've traveled, you know, um, no problem. Um, it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I th- I considered myself like, oh, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a city girl. Like I might as well have been raised in the middle of nowhere when I was in Paris and like London and like an actual city. I mean, it took me an hour to find the Paris train station inside of the airport that I was in. <laughs> like I sat down on a bench like an a- after an hour and cried because I was like, this is insane. <laughs> so you're
1: probably um, you're probably not alone in that. You're navigating a new area. This is during a time in your life where personal identity, you know, you're trying to figure those things out. It seems like you're somebody that likes to give people the benefit of the doubt, you're curious. So, you know, it's interesting. Do you feel like any of that your ability to cope with those new environments uh was helped because of naivete, not knowing what you didn't know, right? Just enjoying being out of the country and and seeing what comes?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, I actually really I really wanted to be uncomfortable, you know, and I don't think I realized that beforehand, um, as much as it was really hard, I really wanted to be uncomfortable, you know, and I think I, I think I've had a very comfortable life, uh, you know, growing up, in a good town, um, you know, good household. I went, you know, had a great education. I mean, everything's just been pretty gravy for me. So I definitely have always, I craved that uncomfortability, um, because I, I knew, I knew I needed it. You know, I, I was, I think I was also very bored in my life, like That's, in my own life.
1: And this was so like when you were coached, for example, let's say we go back to athlete Shayla, did you, how, how, what kind of coaching did you perceive that you needed given what you just said that you kind of had you know, relatively comfortable life, right? And like you said, this isn't the suffering Olympics. Everybody's got their own stuff, good, bad, what have you. But how would somebody have coached you? And then in turn, how have you learned how you like to be coached and switch that out? So whether you're communicating with your significant other now or other people during any form of mediation or just basic conversation, right? Have you learned kind of how to coach and communicate as a default of how people communicated with and coached you?
0: Yeah. Um, I knew like when I decided to go back to track after I, um, had taken about a year off, I knew I needed something completely different. And that was actually sparked from reading the book, um, the sports gene or is it the? Yeah. Know, yeah. But, mm-hmm, so, and that's what made the decision for me to go to Exos and, um, train there for a while. Cause I knew I needed completely different training. Like I, I mean, <laughs> and you, you, you saw me try to navigate, um, you know, moving around boxing and footwork and going sideways when I had like gone straight for 20 years, <laughs> like me trying to move in a circle and like left to right was the most ridiculous. Oh, okay, thing. Yeah. You would have thought I was not an athlete at all. And, um, and so that, that kind of sparked that. And I I guess what I've learned and sorry, how, and the question of, of like, what, how I, how I needed, knew I needed to be coached differently. Right. Is that, that's what you Yeah. You're
1: yeah. Just, you know, how, given, given the nature that, how you describe yourself, how did you need to be coached? How did you to get out of your comfort zone? And then is there anything that you took from that experience having been coached that you notice you start doing with other people. Because we tend to model those experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, I, I tell, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, this is whether when I was an athlete or just now as a human being or a professional, I'm not somebody that really needs, uh, like when I lost my first boxing match, I don't really want to hug. You know, I want to be, I want to go and dissect what I did wrong, learn and get back at it but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with somebody that needed the opposite of that. Right. That just, I know me, I know I'm ready. I'm a problem solver. I need to know what I did wrong, go back. And that gives me peace. How did you want to be coached, And then how has that affected you in the way you communicate now?
0: You know, I honestly, I don't think I recognized how I wanted to be coached. I knew I, how I knew how I wanted to train. Hmm. Um, I didn't, I don't think I recognized how I wanted to be coached until recently, you know, looking back at it, um, I, I don't like the way I was coached and I mean, I do,
1: I get off that easy in what way. (laughs) So,
0: so I mean, I, I've had a lot of different coaches and a lot of different coaching styles, um, which is, which has been great. Um, I definitely looking back, you know, I can say now I wish I would have been coached in a more collaborative way. I wish I would have been more pulled into the process. Um, you know, I think I started off that way at a young age, went learning pole vault, which is a very technical, technical event. Yeah. Um, and my coach that I first learned from, from like when I was in seventh grade to high school, he always talked about being a student of your event. And he was really big on, um, you know watching film and doing all of that and I and I really liked that and really appreciated that and then you know it's not that we didn't watch film or anything like that in college um and my college coach actually was basically like my second dad you know like he, he so that transition was really easy for me but I also think it was a very special relationship which was great but also turned super bad in the end um, which, I, I do want a disclaimer, you know, I don't, I don't ever want, um, you know, anyone to think, or, you know, when I talk like that, I'm, I'm blaming anyone for my sure. personal life choices. You know what I mean? Um, I don't ever want anyone to think that I just know, like, this is just how, what I've learned from my experiences looking back and like how to, you know, and I, in, in a negative way, it served me, you know, I, I can look at that, acknowledge that now, but I, I do want to disclaimer that I'm not I'm not playing the victim, or you know, like blaming anyone for my own personal decisions. so i I do want to note that. but
1: noted, um,
0: yeah, thanks. <laughs> and i I just think it was a lot more of um like authoritarian style coaching and uh, which i I came from a more authoritarian style household hmm. as well. So looking, you know, I'm like really dissecting it like recently of, you know, the combination of that and, and how much that affected me, um, having those two together. Um, and then after I knew I didn't go back to my college coach after I decided to come train, um, went to train at Altus and he was a little more, I didn't feel like very connected to him. Like, that's a big thing for me too. Like, okay. Like collaboration, knowledge, um, a a connection, you know, like I want to feel like I have a good relationship with you. Like I'm a very relational person. Um, and so, and I crave that. And so, uh, I didn't really feel that connected to him. Um, and he wasn't like, and I've always had just pole vault coaches, which is another interesting thing too. He wasn't just a pole vault coach. He was a jumps coach. So, you know, he split his time between a lot of different things. He was super busy. And I think that probably added into it and all that. And then I kind of went ended, quit Altus, went to another coach and he was really great. Actually, it's a, a small club down in like Queen Creek, Arizona called Arizona pole Academy. And, um, and he, and he was a little bit more on par with my high school coach actually, where, you know, he really made you think of, well, what do you think went wrong? You know, when you look at this, what, what would you fix? You know, he really made you take authority over your, your jumping style and your, your training style and stuff. So, and, and I really appreciated that. So I think I ended on, on a pretty good note, but, um, there was a lot of stuff I think in college that really affected me uh, a lot
1: yeah, well I, I want to point it out. I want to point this out. I think one of the things that is so critical about this is when you're a leader of any kind, a manager, a coach, what have you, it's very easy to think we know what other people want. You know, we read books, we do this. we've gone through experiences. We think we know what other people want. But let's use you, for example, right? You admitted and and I think there'd be many people, including myself, that would admit this as well. You don't always know what you want when you're in the position of like stakeholder or follower or student. So for other people to think they know, you know, now there's sometimes they're gonna have an idea of, hey, here's best practices or here's something that's worked. It's all a process of experimentation though, right? And
0: oh, yeah.
1: I think just for the audience, you know, because it, it's very easy to mix these words up. When we say authoritarian versus like authoritative, when Shayla was talking about coming from an authoritarian household is sometimes this can, this can be strict obedience to authority, things like that where authoritative can be, all right, it's, it, you're self-confident, right? But it's not quite as uh, dictator-esque. And those words can easily get confused. But I also think, just to touch on your note of making sure that it doesn't come across the wrong way, I, I don't think it would. I mean, this is the nature, and you know better than I do, the nature of conflict is it occurs in so many different Im- dimensions right somebody can have cognitive conflict affective like affective emotional and behavioral so for example sometimes people just have clashes on the strategy or the opinion or it's a tough personality now we've seen plenty of people that man it seems like they're fighting and they're arguing if you came and watched me coach somebody i'm working with right now we are constantly giving each other the hardest time i mean it gets it gets personal but it's, it, it's what works for us. Cause we mess around. We're joking. It's very old school, New York, dimly lit comedy club after hours kind of stuff. <laughs> right? and, and, totally. and I think you and I even had that when you'd come box, you know, I could playfully kind of jab at you always in context. You could do the same back, but it, it's tricky. Right. And, and I would imagine you see this now, even with, and I don't know how involved you are in the, the mediations or, or just that process. So educate me, but the learnings from coaching to now the legal aspect of stuff and divorce and relationships, that's, what's fascinating to me because it's communication that permeates it all. And that's what I'd love to learn more about how you took all that. And, and it's really molded you now.
0: Yeah. And I, and I really appreciate you also, you know, like kind of making the clarification on, you know, authority, the difference, I guess, differentiation between authoritarian and authoritative and all that. And, And I think, you know, it all just comes down to, you know, your coaching style, you know, you have a secure relationship with your athlete, you know, like, you know, the boundaries that you can push with each other. Um, And that comes from having like a strong, secure relationship. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember when, when you were still at at Exos and we're outside talking. And I think you were, you were talking to me about how you were wanting to write your book. And we're, I don't remember even how we got on the conversation. And I remember telling you that I had this little like theory in my head that, you know, how there's different, um, you know, like attachment styles yeah. where, you know, there's secure, anxious, avoidant, dis- disorganized, all that. That I feel like that can easily be translated over to like a coach-athlete relationship, you know, where it's like you could have a super anxious, avoidant relationship between a coach and athlete, and you can have a really secure relationship. You can have a super dysfunctional relationship. So I think that, you know, there's so much intrigue for me to 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 dive in, into that. Cause I think people don't, well, I think people realize, but I don't think they realize the importance maybe of it, of the relationship that you have with your athlete and like how, or not even that, like an athlete, like your employees, your Every, you know, and, and all transcending into all relationships, like it all is so interconnected and, and, and like understanding like the play of what you guys can do with each other. It all goes back to like, well, what's, what's, how are you guys like, what's your attachment style between each other? Which just sounds like a weird thing to say, you know, but. It just makes sense. I don't know if you remember me, like me saying that it was such a passing conversation, but
1: yeah, I listen. Re- I listen. I mean, there, what you're talking about makes sense. And of course I remember our conversations, you know, I'd lie if I could tell you I could, uh, transcribe them. Right. But I remember that this is what instituted, uh, some conversations between us and, and you're spot on. It's, it's part of our mission now to help people understand things learned in sport and, and coaching transcend into the business world. Cause I think that's very obvious for people that come from the medical world and the military. It's, it's often a stigma. We have to fight, um, strength and conditioning coaches or performance coaches aren't, and we've talked about this in numerous episodes. We're not always looked at in the same light as other professions because a lot of people don't really know what it is. But there's so much that goes on with the performance coach dynamic between. Because think about it, right? Like as a pole vaulter, and that, and and this is tricky. People will try to make this into a false dichotomy. But let's say somebody's really good at a particular sport. Well, the the relationship you have with that coach in the sporting context is not always the same that you're going to have with the performance coach. Now, duh, I get that. But what I'm saying is there were a lot of athletes that I worked with that were prodigious at their sport. And I usually think of combat sports, whether it was the, uh, the, the MMA fighters I worked with or boxers or what have you, but in the weight room and in the performance type stuff, I mean, they were awful movers. They, they were out of their environment and that creates a different level of uh, what's the word I want to look at of insecurity. And also it requires a different strategy. And we see it too. Even if I go into a team or organization and I speak, there's people eager, eager to learn. And there's people that are like, oh, are you here for my job? So like those, and, and the answer is no, never. But <laughs> there's so many little things that happen within the context that you have to have different styles of approach. You have to have, and you also have to understand that these other people, they bring so much baggage into that. They do, and and that's where I'd be interested to hear more about your education on conflict resolution and what you've learned now on that side of things. That looking back, you're like, oh yeah, this this would have helped me assert myself when I was an athlete, or this would have helped me to be able to say this. Talk to me a little bit more about your learnings in that side now.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when I uh, when I started my course, it was just, in, it was honestly just in the first like fundamentals course. Um, when I started learning about it, cause we were, you know, we were practicing and doing different exercises and assignments on, um, you know, reframing and, um, you know, dealing like learning emotions and dealing with emotions in a conversation and all of that. And, and I remember the first time that I tried to do like reframing, it was, really hard. It was really, I mean, it's a hard skill anyways. It's super uncomfortable, but when you first start to do it, but, um, I remember feeling like I didn't, I I almost like didn't know how to label emotions or I didn't know how to label my own emotions, which was a weird realization. Um, and then one thing that we had to do too, was, um, we had to, one of the role-playing exercises that we had to do was like, you know, we had to like speak about in whatever situation it was, we had to speak about like what our needs were. And I had no clue how to articulate what I needed.
1: Why not, Sheila?
0: Because I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, um, I, I think, and I'm, you know, just obviously speaking from personal experience, I think, I let myself be like groomed as an athlete, a little bit more robotic. And, um, I, I don't think, um, there was always necessarily a lot of room for collaboration in certain coaching relationships that I had, um, to where I didn't, I didn't know how to say what I needed, even though I knew, I knew I, like I could looking back, like I obviously had a need that was not being met, um, which led to breakdowns in, in communications and relationships and stuff. Um, I, I just, you know, it's like you get your, you know, you know, your workout for the day, you do it, you know, the coach you says, jump, you say how high, you know, you know, exactly. You're given your weight card when you go into the weight room. Like, it just is so, it's just so robotic in a sense. You know, I was like, I, it was like, I didn't even I I didn't know how to speak up for like other parts of my brain and like my needs. Like I knew I was very in tune with myself from a physical sense, you know, like I knew how much I could push myself physically, um, you know, in a workout or cause I knew my body athletes are really in tune with their bodies. Yep. Um, but I was, I wasn't in tune with like my emotions and and I, and I look back at this one particular kind of moment, uh, where, we, we used to train with the sprinters the first like six or eight weeks. And, um, I remember we were doing this one workout and, you know, you're at, you're, you're getting done with the one set or whatever, and you, know, you got your hands on your hips or over your, or over your head or whatever. And you're kind of making that like scrunched scrunched face where you're like, damn, I'm, I'm hurting, but like, I'm good kind of thing. And he said, um, you know, like wipe that look off your face, wipe that look. you. Can't can't don't let anyone know that you're hurting. Don't let anyone know that you're. Your coach said this. Yeah, and 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 I understood what he was saying. You know, in that yeah. context of like, you know, if you if you say that you do the prelims of a hundred meter dash or whatever, and you're like on the ground after the prelims, like huffing and puffing, and then like everyone else is around, you like say you made the finals, but everyone else around is like, ah, oh, she's dead. You know, she gave it all she had in the prelims. You know, like she's not. You know, we're gonna smoke her in the finals. Whatever. It was kind of that, like, be. It was sort of like a little bit of resiliency. It was a sort of a little bit like a don't, don't give away what's going on, like in inside your body and inside your head. Um, this, is gonna, you
1: this is where I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna push on you, though, and and I and I do this because it would be a totally lame conversation, right? If you and I seemed like echo chambers for each other. So we're gonna have some fun okay. with this. Okay. Um. And I want to think about how I want to phrase this. So you talk about, you know, certain needs that weren't met in the coach athlete relationship, but mm-hmm. certainly you, you've you been with your boyfriend a while now, right? How long have you guys been together? If you don't mind me asking?
0: Yeah, like two and a half years almost. Okay. Three.
1: So certainly you've had to make sure needs are met there that you maybe didn't know how to vocalize, right? And and of course we don't need to get like, I'm always going to respect your privacy, but just talking in general, like I'll even use my wife and I, right? Like we we had very different backgrounds in terms of, uh intimacy and and experiences dating and things like that right we're both from Omaha Nebraska we met in Florida so we it's not we didn't grow up around one another we legitimately met when i was like 25 or 26 i can't remember i think it was 25 but like every relationship has to figure out what are boundaries with intimacy what quote unquote love language do i have what are we going to what do we share in common and also what do we celebrate that's different so here's my question and it feeds into something else is where did you find that that mix of and I, and I'll go back to what you said in the summit you have to have vulnerability because you have to be open in a relationship especially if you want those aspects of the relationship to be good but you still need to maintain resilience in terms of being your own person overcoming hardship trusting yourself or what have you how do you find that balance of resilience and vulnerability to now make a ha- happy relationship
0: oh man i you know i'm i am so glad you asked that and i and i'm still learning obviously Shout out to my therapist. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, but that was a big learning process when him and I first started dating because I really didn't want to mess it up. And, you know, I'd been in a lot of really um, dysfunctional relationships um, pretty much from when I first started dating. And uh, I knew I really didn't want to to mess this up. I didn't, I, and I really wanted to communicate really well with him. I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but I just knew I wanted to communicate well with him. And I immediately felt a sense of comfortability with him. So that obviously helped, but he was actually raised much different than I was in the sense of communication style. So, you know, his mom, which I've had extensive conversations with her about it, you know, when, He was upset or there was something that went wrong or disciplinary. It was a lot of talking through things like labeling emotions and, um, okay. You know, you know, you're not angry, you're disappointed and you're, you know, like, like helping him kind of navigate that. And he, and I remember being so impressed with him, like how well he was able to state what he needed or what he was feeling in a very like non-combative way, because my default is um, like prepare for battle. (laughs) You know, that's, that's my default in like communication (laughs) when, when I'm trying,
1: I need to know why, why?
0: I think it's because like, I, I growing up in that more authoritarian, um, style, it was very much like end of conversation. No, because I said, so there was, you know, not a lot of reason there was, there's a lot of like, there, there was just no, it was because I said, so, you know, there was an end of discussion. One of the most
1: dangerous things you can say in any kind of interaction.
0: Right. Yeah. And so it was just like, I was just so used to that. And so I think I was constantly sort of clawing at to be heard. And, um, and then I, and I think I felt that in, in my college relationship with my coach, which like, like blew up at some point um, to where I almost wanted to transfer transferring wasn't as easy (laughs) as it was now as it is now. And I'm glad I didn't. But anyways, um, it, it was like, I look look back and like, what was the need that wasn't being met? And it was just always went back to like, I was never heard. And, and that was sort of the pattern I felt in relationships before him was like, like I'm I can't, I'm like, something's not translating, you know, like I'm not being heard or like, I would try and say like something that would upset me or whatever. And it was like, didn't register.
1: (laughs) I think that goes hand in hand with one thing we try to say at our workshops is it's, it's rarely an information barrier. It's a translation barrier. You can think that you have said something in the perfect way and you've provided right. the data and the rational breakdown <laughs> of why it makes sense. And that other person's just like, no, no chance. I'm not giving an inch. And then you realize, wow, everything that I've been taught in terms of seeking to understand, reframing it sometimes in what I thought was an effective way, maybe even using that person's words, right. Clawing to be heard and, and, and what have you. And they can still be like, no, that that's not it. And you're like, where did I go wrong here? Am I losing my damn mind?
0: Right. And I mean, it was like, there were so many instances. And then I think that's where I also, it was for me, it was like, I had no idea to find the gray area of battle versus like shut down completely. You know, I, there was no in between for me because I think I, you know, would revert back. And a big thing for me is like, I never wanted to let anyone know that they had hurt my feelings or, 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 you know, that my feelings had been hurt by something. Like I never wanted to disclose that because I felt like it was going to give them power, um, over, over me, or like they knew that they
1: had power
0: to affect me.
1: Think about this by you not being willing to do that. You're unwilling to relent your power. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. That's a tricky thing is power is so dynamic, right? If you are in a relationship, you genuinely, it's, it's a constant free-flowing thing. You have power, I have power. I think that that's tricky. And so do you consider, and I want to think about how I frame this, because again, I'm far from a perfect communicator. That's the fun of studying it. You didn't want them to have that power over you. So your go-to power was just, no, I'm not going to disclose this information. I'm going to keep my cards close to the chest. Yeah. It was kind of like, Oh, I'm cool. I'm, you know, Oh, like, what do you want? How do you, how do you expect anybody? And again, this is me politely pushing back, right? Like, how do you expect anybody? Because there's somebody listening right now that this is happening. Somebody's listening and they're trying to get through to somebody and maybe they relate to what you're saying. And they're like, I can't, how can they maybe break down that barrier? In order to not win the power game, but you know what I mean. In order to just say, "Hey, like, transfer a little of this to me." I'm not. I'm not going to do anything bad here. I'm trying to resolve the conflict. What's one way that you think it might help from your own experience?
0: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I can definitely tell you that the longer you withhold, I mean, it, it's just it's gonna it's gonna backfire. You know, yeah, with, at one point, yeah, one point or another, um, and I think you know it, it can take some time i mean i remember when i was ending one relationship that it took me months like months like every day i woke up and i was like this is not good this is not good and i have i don't know why like yeah I, yo, i'm in therapy trying to figure it out <laughs> so <it's
1: That's> like- <laughs> awesome. this is good good it's good for yeah. It
0: so it's like i could not it was like also um having uncomfortable conversations makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> and so that's something I'm really learning to like sit in the uncomfortability like it's okay and and all of that and um
1: you came on the wrong podcast.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and like I I also it's funny because as much as like I was trying to you know almost like hold this power like you're not going to have power over me, I also didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to hurt anyone by being like, Hey, this is effed up, like what we're doing to each other. Like, and I knew that the relationship would end. Like I knew the second I had this conversation, there was like, there was no going back. You know what I mean? Like the the relationship was done the second I opened up that conversation. So I think one big thing I would say I learned in all of that is you have to prepare yourself for an answer that you're not, you don't want to hear you know, I mean, you can't just sit there and like play the conversation over and over in your head and be like, yeah, this is how it's going to go, you know, and then you have the conversation and it's like goes the complete opposite, which is usually what ends up happening. I think you have to, you have to let go of all expectations of outcome from the conversation. And um, you have to be willing to get an answer that you don't want, you might not want to hear, you know, it's and it might take a, a long time for you to feel finally okay with that.
1: I think those are great points. I think one mistake I, I know I made, if I can add to it, in previous failed relationships is sometimes I'd rely on text. You know, I remember this in my early 20s In you know, I, there were times where I felt like I want to say this clearly, so I'm going to sleep on it and I'm going to send a text that in my mind, I thought was impossible to understand or misunderstand, right? I thought this was impossible to misunderstand. And I thought when I send this, if they just see it and I lay it out, whenever they're in doubt, even if I don't say it clearly face-to-face, this text is like a written record. This is what I meant. This is how I feel, what have you. But then the issue is, is we make the mistake of thinking that text is it. So I remember one time I sent this text and I don't remember the context of it, right? But let's let's say that it was, I'm sorry. This is how I feel. This is what I was trying to say. This is what I mean, you know? And the issue is, is it's never just that text. Now the conversation happens rapidly over text. And there's bound to be a misinterpretation again because text, just like email, is a poor context-rich medium, right? You and I are talking on a relatively context-rich medium. You hear my tonality. I see your head nodding. You know, even if the audience doesn't see us, they can understand by the tone in our voice that there's a mutual, like we're working together to try to help the audience here. Um, And then what I realized is like, no, oh crap. Now I ended up saying something stupid again. And she would dwell on that. And so we would make progress in our relationship, but then she'd go back and cycle through those texts. And admittedly that, you know, she'd kind of just make herself angry again. And, and we knew that in the relationship, she's like, I have a tendency to go and I'll I'll look at these texts and I'll be over a feeling or an emotion, but then I'll just make myself angry. So then I'm like, well, shit, I'm not gonna text you again. And it just gets so tricky in this dynamic, no matter what the relationship is uh, romantically, you just have to be able to find that person, swallow your pride and say, listen, this is what I'm trying to achieve, help me get there. And I would imagine in, in your profession, it's also important just like in life to really use these kinds of phrases of neutral understanding it sounds like it seems like it looks like instead of some other kind of declarative forceful kind of language do those do you find those helpful if somebody says it sounds like you're upset or it seems like something might be bugging you or it looks like I've done something wrong here do those help you at all
0: oh my gosh yeah and and that goes back to the whole you know when we learned about like reframing and everything and the whole the biggest thing is you know checking your assumptions you know, and, and checking what you heard, you know, because like you said, there's always things that are get lost in translation. And it also provides that person the opportunity to give clarification if you didn't understand. Right. You know what I mean? So it keeps the conversation moving in a productive way, which I remember like, and that's something that my boyfriend and I now, like we really try to be really intentional. Like I've also gotten better with, um, you know, cause I remember he would say to me, like, Shayla, this conversation will go so much smoother if you just tell me how you feel. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel. Like, I don't even know. I don't know how to articulate how I feel without coming off like the biggest biatch ever. You know? So it's like, I needed to figure out, like sift through the files in my brain of like, okay, how do I say this in a nice way? How do I say this in a nice way? Like it take, it's like a delayed, almost Thing for me, I have to really be intentional about what comes out of my mouth, and so it's okay. And I and I I've gotten so much better at saying I don't know exactly how to put into words how I'm feeling right now. I I'll let you know as soon as I do, and I and I want to come back to this, you know. And, And sometimes it only takes me a couple minutes. Sometimes you know I need to sleep on it, but we we make sure we're good, you know, and all that. But I remember we've gotten a lot better at that, or you know. I'll say to him, if he's saying something to me that I'm interpreting in a really crazy way that I'm like, okay, this is what I heard that you're blah, 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 blah. And he'll either say, yes, you're right. Or no, I'm saying this, you know, and then I get clarification and then I can like move forward in the conversation.
1: Yeah, I think that's helpful, especially, you know, I hope what the audience is taking away from this is we we live during a time where, Whether it's your relationships or in the workforce, you're gonna have people from so many different generations and backgrounds working together. And when you're trying to manage, coach, or lead them, we think that just because we might be able to label our emotions or how we feel that other people can do the same. And then because that's not reality, because emotions are incredibly complex, somebody becomes quote unquote difficult, or somebody becomes a hard to understand or unhelpful, or like I got called when I was hospitalized, non-compliant. And it's like, No, understand that sometimes people don't have the language for what they're saying, which is, again, and I'm totally biased. I think we have to train for communication. I think it's ridiculous that I don't, I try not to take many hard stances on pseudo political issues here because it's just not the platform for it, but I think it's ridiculous that more and more in schools, not only is physical education out, sex education's out, there's no communication training, there's there's nothing like on finance, unless you like, just basic stuff is so crazy to me. You know, my wife and I were even talking about this the other day in terms of the human body. You look at ancient Greek culture and Roman culture, bodies of males and females. I mean, these are things that are like, you know, these wonderful vessels. Now, you know, it's, you could it's amazing. Like any hint of, of a body part and it's, Oh, you must, you must be this or you're that, or you're a trollop or you're, and it's like, ah, my God, everything's so polarized. You know, one thing I I wanted to say is, and it might be helpful Is I remember I downloaded this app and I'm looking at on my phone right now, maybe this will help. It's called mood meter. And I can't remember, and they don't pay me to say this. I think it's either Harvard (laughs) or Stanford that came up with it. But for example, and I'm, and I'm showing you this, even though the screen's hard to see, it says, hey, Brett, how are you right now? And there's a button that says, I feel. So I click on it and it's like, it gives you four quadrants, high energy, pleasant, low energy, pleasant, low energy, unpleasant, high energy, unpleasant. So let's say I click on high energy, pleasant. All right. And then it asks me to like, put it on this dimensional scale of saying, okay, well, you know, tell us exactly how well you do it. It's hard to explain over here, but I definitely recommend anybody listening, at least check it out. It's an app. I'm pretty sure it was free because I had read about it in an article called mood meter. And so in lieu of that, you knowing that you have a, a hard time expressing your emotions, where are you with this now? Like right now, if I ask you, how do you feel in the context of this conversation? Can you put words to that?
0: Yeah, I would say that I'm, I'm excited because I feel like I want to talk to you like for five hours. Um, I'm inspired. I'm, I could say at the beginning I was hundred percent nervous. I was like, had to do some breathing beforehand. Um, but I, I feel so comfortable and right now, you know, so, and excited and inspired and all of that. So getting better. And, it, you know, it's funny actually being with this law firm has helped me so much because, um, they, you know, every Monday, um, we do like a team meeting and most, for the most part, it's pretty much, it's a small team of like nine people. And, um, for the most part, we just do like check-ins with each other. And I remember like the, it was like the third team meeting I was part of and my, one of my bosses, uh, he was just really open about how he was feeling just super heavy about, the like what was going on in the world at the time and he was like I just feel super low energy like I this is like really like the state of the world is like really bringing me down and I just feel super bummed right now and I was like my boss just said he was like sad you know (laughs) like it was like the craziest thing and then everyone else kind of it opened up the door for everyone else to be like yeah you know I'm like really struggling with this too And, and you know it's never it's never anyone like oversharing to this point of, you know, weird boundary, but like, it was just, it made you, it was such a connector and it made, like, I was so blown away by it and seeing how everyone else, it opened up the door for everyone else to kind of really feel safe expressing how they felt because he expressed how he felt and in a very open and vulnerable way. And so they're really modeling for me because I remember we, I have a separate meeting with the partners of the firm and, um, they were like, how are you feeling right now? You know? I mean, like, I, you know, I noted, you said, I saw, I heard you in your check-in say that, you know, you were feeling a little overwhelmed, you know, like what, what's playing into that. And I just like, remember feeling super nervous that they were asking me that, but also so glad, you know, I was like, wow, they give a shit, (laughs) you know? And, and then they were able to clarify like hey don't worry about this this and this these are high priority this is low priority like just keep in contact with us about you know what what, what your needs are and i was just like oh my god this is this is something i've not seen before <laughs> so yeah, it was I, really cool to see it modeled
1: well this is what i want to do i want to see cuz i know there's going to be listeners that definitely want to dive more deeply so even though we can't talk 5 hours on this podcast right we can definitely have you back for a part two. So guys, if you're listening, make sure, and these are always in the show notes, go to artofcoaching.com forward slash podcast reflections. You'll find downloads for every episode, but in Shayla's download, we're gonna put together a nice, easy little Google form that's just gonna pull you if you wanna hear more about this, the context of relationships, your emotions, trying to figure out how to better understand them or those of other folks. Because again, communication covers such a broad broad bandwidth of things. And we'll just put three or four questions in there so we can get to know what you wanna hear more of. And again, that's artofcoaching.com forward slash podcast reflections. If you don't fill it out, we're gonna assume that you guys don't wanna hear more on this, but I know for a fact there are listeners who do because they've asked for this kind of episode for a long time. Shayla, in the meantime, until we do part two, where can people connect with you and where can people reach out to you, whether they're going through kind of that identity crisis you mentioned, whether they're an athlete or non-athlete now, still trying to figure out kind of their path, if they're in a relationship where they're like, ah, I need to make sense of my own mind, how can they best reach out to you while also respecting your boundaries?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would just say I don't have you know website or anything, but I would just say reach out to me on Instagram and you know I put my profiles public and it's just at Shay underscore Sims and and yeah, I'd love to hear I like I said like my dream job would be just hearing everyone's story so anyone out there please please tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll put and we'll make sure the guys those are always in the show notes. So make sure you use it, Shayla. I can't thank you enough for you always you come on. It's unscripted. It's been at least five years, half a decade since we've actually talked face to face. You were such uh, you offered such great engagement and questions in the summit this weekend. I'm glad to know you. And I'm looking forward to part two.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely guys. Until next time, this is the art of coaching podcast, Brett Bartholomew and Shayla Simpson signing off.